This episode, we talk about the Democratic National Convention and what policies the Democratic Party stands for. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. So last week, we saw the Democratic National Convention take place. Over the course of four days, the top names in the Democratic Party spoke out virtually, for the most part, because of the coronavirus pandemic. They decided not to have an in-person convention this year, and so they had speeches take place, and most of it was done virtually. I just want to talk a little bit today about some of the things that struck me of what I heard and saw on the convention and what I think it says about the pitch of the Democratic Party and about this election in general. So the first thing that really struck me about the convention were some of the people that they had come out and the particular topics that they had those people talk about. So for example, they had Michelle Obama come and give a speech, a speech that was widely praised by those on the left. She is a very popular figure among Democrats. But in her speech, she talked about the fact that we have at the border a situation in which migrant children are being held in in quote unquote cages. What's interesting about them, you know, bringing out Michelle Obama to talk about that is the fact that it is in fact her husband, President Barack Obama, who instituted the policies that have these kids in cages and who his administration who actually was responsible for the building of those cages. In fact, it was one of the big controversies when this story first gained steam under the Trump administration was that one of the pictures that had been circulating the most widely about the kids in cage issue that was used to attack Trump was a picture that was taken in 2014 under the Obama administration. I think the fact that they brought her out to talk about this is very ironic, obviously, but it also speaks volumes as to the level of confidence that the Democrats have in the media to cover for them. While this was widely talked about among conservative media and pundit sites, it was completely ignored by the mainstream media. All we got from them were lavish praises of Michelle Obama and her speech, and nobody dared to fact check anything that she actually said. The second one that was really interesting to me was the fact that they actually brought Bill Clinton out to speak. This was just shocking to me overall that this party, this Democratic Party, which prides itself or calls itself the party for women, who calls itself the party that is, you know, the Me Too party, that they actually would bring Bill Clinton out to speak at the convention. This is a man who has been credibly accused of sexual assault, including actual rape, by multiple women. This is a man who just over the last few weeks has been named by alleged victims of Jeffrey Epstein as somebody who they saw with their own eyes on his planes and on his pedophile island. And a picture recently emerged just this very last week of Bill Clinton receiving a back massage from a victim of Jeffrey Epstein's human sex trafficking. And while she did not say that he did anything bad to her, this picture shows that he was very much involved in this really horrific story that has been gripping the nation for over the last couple of years. And yet they 
bring him out to speak at their convention and of all things to speak about bringing respectability back into the Oval Office. The fact that the Democratic Party can say, or that Democrats in this country can say that one of the main reasons why they don't want to vote for Trump or they want to vote against Trump is because Trump is a sexual harasser or a sexual assaulter. You simply cannot say that and then support a party that has Bill Clinton speak at their convention. You simply cannot say that and then turn around and vote for Joe Biden, who has been also credibly accused of not just sexual harassment, but actual sexual assault. If you are somebody who says, hey, you know, I think it's bad. I think it's terrible, but I vote on policies and this is the person who's going to advocate for my policies. And so I'm going to vote for this party or these men in spite of this. That's one thing. But to say that Trump is evil and terrible because of his treatment of women and then to turn around and vote for the party that brings out Bill Clinton, it's, it just does not make logical sense. The third one that really struck me was the DNC bringing out Andrew Cuomo to talk about the COVID response. I will never get over the gaslighting that occurs when it comes to Andrew Cuomo and the coronavirus response. He is, again, the governor of the state with the highest number of COVID deaths in the country, and it's not even close. He is the governor of the state with the second highest number of COVID deaths per capita, second only to New Jersey. And even if people want to argue that New York was hit hard really early before we knew pretty much anything about this virus, there is a specific policy, which is his policy to force nursing homes to accept COVID patients that directly be tied to this thing spreading among the most vulnerable populations among us, which are the elderly and those who are nearing the end of their life as it is. So this is a man whose policies actually were very poor in the handling of COVID and they bring him out to talk about the COVID response and to call his response to COVID beautiful. I would love to see what the democratic response would be if somebody in Texas or Florida came out and called their COVID response beautiful. These are the states that have been wildly attacked by liberals in this country for their COVID response and yet their numbers are no near as horrible as Andrew Cuomo. There's plenty of blame to go around when it comes to government and, and the COVID response, but you cannot blame anybody in government about the COVID response and then also turn around and say Andrew Cuomo did a great job in his state responding to COVID. So just these examples right here, right off the bat, were really surprising to me that the Democratic Party would bring out these specific people to talk about these specific things. It really did just feel like a lot of gaslighting. It felt a lot like expecting Americans to completely ignore everything we know to be true in order to just believe what these people say. So that was kind of the first thing that really struck me. The second thing that really struck me was basically the entire pitch of of the Democrats for this election is that the orange man in the White House is really, really bad. I mean, that's pretty much it. Every speech that was highlighted, every quote that was highlighted and put out there, I mean, 99% of them were attacks on Trump. And it was very, very devoid of policy discussion. That was one thing that really, really struck me was how little policy discussion there is. As an average American citizen who's looking at these things and looking at these conventions, what really gets me is, okay, so did the Democrats hate Trump? 
I mean, that's not news. That's not surprising. You guys have been telling us every single day for four years how much you hate Trump. You impeached him, for goodness sakes. We know you hate him and you think that he's a terrible president. But is that really the only pitch as to why I should vote for you? And it, do, it makes sense why they do this because so many Americans who hate Trump really hate Trump. And so that's who they're appealing to. I believe that there was a survey or a poll that came out that said something like 59% of Americans who said that they are going to vote for Joe Biden are their number one reason for doing so is because they want to vote against Trump. So it makes sense that they do this, that they really didn't talk much about policy and they focused mostly on Trump because that is what is most politically expedient for them. But I think that we need as American citizens to step back and say, is this really all our politics has become? Who is the nice guy and who is the bad man? Who we like and who we don't like? What are the Democratic policies? What is the direction that the Democratic Party wants to take us? I think Americans need to start demanding that our politics become more than that. I think that Americans need to start demanding that instead of it just being personal attacks, we want to know what the policies are. So I want to talk a little bit right now about some Democratic platform policies. Um, so this information that I'm talking about has been through my reviewing the Democratic platform, the official platform, plus looking at what has been said by the main politicians and the top figures in the Democratic Party about policies, not so much at the convention, but over the course of the last year or so. So the first thing is that's interesting to me is certain policies that the Democratic Party is advocating for simultaneously. For example, they are advocating at this point for a defunding of the police in America. And yes, the argument that they say is, okay, we're, it's not about abolishing police. It's not about taking police off the streets. It's about taking some of the money away from police departments, not all of the money, but some of the money, and reallocating that money towards maybe mental health issues or poverty fighting issues so that we can cut off the crimes before it happens and we don't need as many police. Okay, but the reality is, is that their police departments across the country that have been defunded are all in Democrat cities. Okay, so that's not surprising. That's what they're advocating for. Um, but also the fact that there are a lot of people on the left who are not just calling for the defunding of police, but for the abolition of police. There was a speaker that they've stuck her in the daytime speaking role, and they've kind of been really trying to downplay and hide this interview. But of course, you know, conservatives are going to get a hold of it and put it out there by an activist named Jay Mai, I believe the name is. And this person was advocating openly for a world without police. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the BLM leader from the Philadelphia chapter who is openly advocating for the abolishment of police. And of course, we saw the Minneapolis City Council vote to completely dismantle their police. So on the one hand, they're talking about defunding the police. They're also talking about closing down and eliminating prisons. That was something that uh, some members of the squad actually introduced into government legislation in a bill a few weeks ago as well. So they want to defund the police. They want to abolish prisons, which of course means just letting all the criminals out. And at the same time, the Democratic Party is advocating for stricter gun control. And at the same time, the Democratic Party is advocating to reduce punishments for illegally possessing a firearm. So how are these policies going to happen simultaneously? So you want to get rid of police, you want to get rid of prisons, and at the same time, you want to remove from law-abiding Americans 
our ability to own a gun and protect ourselves. Over the last few months, we have seen record numbers of gun buys in this country, including record numbers of first-time gun owners. Why do you think that is? People are looking around and people are saying, wait a minute, they want to take away the police. If you take away the police, who's going to protect me from criminals? And so it's like, well, I'm going to have to protect myself. But then the Democratic Party wants to take that away too. I'm not really sure what the message is here. Do they really just believe that if we abolish police and prisons that we're just not going to have any crime? Like, do we think that these institutions exist and they're causing the crimes to take place? Or are they a response to the crime? Well, of course they're a response to the crime. The crime is going to happen. And the fact that these positions are being advocated for simultaneously is very bizarre. And it just, it doesn't make sense to me. I really wonder what innocent law-abiding Americans are supposed to do to keep ourselves safe. Um, Another issue that kind of falls along those same lines is when it comes to border security. So the Democratic Party is very vocal in their opposition to the border wall. Okay, that's something that they've been very adamantly against. But at the same time, they want to eliminate ICE and eliminate Border Patrol. At the same time, they have called, members of the Democratic Party have called for decriminalization of illegal border crossings. And it's interesting to me because when you point this out and you say, okay, so you guys want open borders. They say, no, 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 no. That's just fear mongering. We don't want open borders. Okay. If you want to eliminate ICE and Border Patrol, not build a wall or any sort of barrier and decriminalize illegal border crossings, you're advocating for open borders. You are advocating for a system in which anybody can come across into our country. Okay, that's what you want. Fine, I guess. I don't agree with that, but okay. But then at the same time, they're advocating for Medicare for all. And they are openly saying that the universal health care and the Medicare for all needs to also be available to people who are in the country illegally. How can those positions be held at the same time? When you break that down and you think about it, so what they want is to open up all of our borders and let anyone and everyone who wants to come into the country, come into the country. And then once they're here, they want to give them free health care. And in addition to, of course, free public school and education, free college, free child care, all of the other quote unquote free, which is really taxpayer funded benefits that the Democratic Party is advocating for. If we allow them to institute all of these policies simultaneously, our nation will be broke within two months. This is a recipe for bankruptcy. And it's just very bizarre. I have to admit, it is very bizarre to me that people don't see this, that people don't look at all of these policies and put them together and say, "Mm, if we advocate, if we do all of these things at the same time, we're going to be in trouble. What's interesting about the Medicare for All issue is this is something that we have heard Democrats talk about a lot, mainstream figures in the Democratic Party over the last several years, and yet they chose to not include that on their party platform. So what's interesting is Kamala Harris said during the campaign that she did want to eliminate private health insurance and have everybody go on Medicare for all. Then, because that is not a particularly popular idea, she did kind of backtrack on that and mention that she wants everybody on Medicare within 10 years. So even though they did not include it on their platform, this is definitely something that Democrats are not shy about pushing for. What's interesting about Medicare for All, oh, and by the way, Kamala Harris, and she did co-sponsor a bill with Bernie Sanders 
introducing Medicare for all. So this is her opinion. Okay, this is her stance. There's no real question about it. Kamala Harris is interested in Medicare for all and to have that completely replace any sort of private insurance. So there's a couple of things I want to point out with that. Medicare has a reimbursement rate for doctors and hospitals that is about 20% lower than private insurance. This is something that Bernie Sanders tried to gloss over when talking about the price tag for Medicare for all and in his claim that it is actually less expensive than what we as Americans are currently paying for our health care. But the reality is, is that the reimbursement rate is 20% lower. 81% of people who are currently on Medicare in America have some sort of supplemental health insurance in addition to their Medicare. Medicare alone is not supporting pretty much anybody in their medical needs. And yet this party wants to make this the platform and make this the health insurance situation for every single American. Number one, do we think that doctors, offices, and hospitals are going to provide the same level and quality of care while taking a 20% pay decrease? Does that work in any other aspect of life? Do Does any company in the world take a 20% pay decrease or income increase and provide the same level of, of service? If you personally got a 20% cut in pay, would you provide the same level of job performance? Probably not. Most doctor's offices and hospitals limit the number of Medicare patients that they take, and some of them don't accept Medicare patients at all because the reimbursement rates are too low. This is important. You can kind of compare this a little bit when you look at, for example, free public schools where, you know, okay, yes, you can send your kid to school for free, but as a parent of public school children, I can tell you that the schools are constantly coming to us, asking us for donations of money and classroom supplies and all of these other things that the schools need. And I live in a pretty decently middle-class neighborhood. I can't even imagine, you know, the schools that take place or the schools that the schools that are located in low-income areas where the families don't have the money for the donations, those schools do without. And so, yes, when you have government-funded and government-sponsored programs, they, they are not fully funded, okay? And that is something that we all need to take into account, We also need to ask ourselves, you know, if we have Medicare for all, are people going to want to pay for both private insurance and Medicare for all if they allow private insurance to continue to exist? According to a KFF health tracking poll from July of 2019, 86% of Americans report that they're happy with their private health insurance. So the idea of eliminating private health insurance as an option altogether is not something that is particularly popular among the American people, even though the majority of Americans do support the idea of Medicare for all. When you look at the Democratic platform, their solution to pretty much every problem is to throw money at it. They want universal preschool and childcare. They want free college and free healthcare. The Green New Deal, guaranteed jobs programs, creating more jobs, which is basically just creating more government jobs. The solution to every single problem is to give it more money. Every solution is more government involvement. And of course, that is why they use the term democratic socialism. They are absolutely openly in favor of a movement towards socialism. And they call it democratic socialism because they are trying to distinguish between socialism, which has been tried numerous times in numerous places throughout history and has been an abject failure every single time. And what they say is, no, 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 we don't want that kind of socialism. We don't want the bad socialism. We want the socialism that exists in the Nordic 
Nordic countries, countries like Denmark and Finland and Sweden. That's what they tell us. But what they don't tell us is the situation in those countries. First of all, those countries are not socialist countries. The president of Denmark, I believe it was, openly came out and said, hey, America, stop saying we're a socialist country. We are not a socialist country. We are a capitalist free market country. When you look at, for example, the corporate tax rates in those countries, they are astronomically low. They are way lower than American corporate tax rates. These countries do not believe in the philosophy of of taxing their businesses to death in order to pay for social programs. Instead, they tax their citizens. The tax rates on middle-class citizens in those countries is twice as high as the current tax rate in America. In America, the average tax rate for the middle class is about 24%. In Denmark, their average tax rate for the middle class is 55%. In Finland, it's 53%. And in Sweden, it's 57%. What does this tell us? It tells us that what the Democrats in America are advocating for while citing the Nordic countries is nothing like what the Nordic countries are actually doing. What Democrats in America are advocating for is to have the quote unquote millionaires and billionaires and the corporations foot the bill for all of their social programs. And they're telling the American people that your taxes will either not go up or they won't go up very much in order to pay for these things. That is simply not true. When they point to these countries, they are neglecting to explain to the American people that the tax rates that middle class families pay are twice as high. There are a lot of Americans who I have heard say, hey, I'm willing to pay a little bit more in taxes to ensure that the poor in this country can have access to health care. I'm willing to pay a higher tax rate to make sure that people are taken care of. Okay, fine. But are you willing to pay double? Are you willing to pay twice as much in taxes as you do right now. And maybe you are, and maybe you're not. But the truth is, is that the Democratic Party has not been open about this fact. They have not been open and honest with the American people about what it's going to take to achieve these policies and these conclusions and these programs that they want in to have in place. Taking a look also, for example, at the Green New Deal. Okay, the Green New Deal is something that has been touted by Democrats. It is something that is gaining steam and that Joe Biden himself has said that he supports. The Green New Deal has a price tag of 53, somewhere between 53 and 91 trillion dollars. Now, I looked up information about this price tag before my podcast today and there is a lot of discussion about, oh, that number is taken out of context or that number is, you know, it's not telling the whole story. But the truth is, is that in every single aspect, they have said it is correct. It is a correct estimate. Our current national debt is over $26 trillion and it is climbing higher and higher every single day. When you look at these policies that the Democrats are proposing, it is like they have money trees in their backyard. I honestly do not understand how our government, and this is something, a critique on both sides of the aisle because Republicans have done absolutely nothing about our national debt, but the spending is completely out of control. And there's this mentality that we are never going to have to account for it. We are never going to have to actually pay this down. We are never going to actually have to pay for any of these policies. I do not see how that is true. And I think that this is a serious problem 
in our nation that pretty much no one is talking about at this point, which is the fact that we are speeding towards bankruptcy like a bullet train. And the Democratic Party, the Republicans are not good at this. Do not get me wrong. They have spent, they have blown out the spending and they are just as guilty. But the Democrats are proposing policies that have astronomically high price tags. There's no way around it. And I just do not see how raising the taxes on the millionaires and billionaires in America is going to pay for all of these promises that they are making. It's not. If you vote for this party, your taxes are going to go up astronomically. They are going to increase substantially. Because the other thing we have to remember is that these Nordic countries with their 55 and 57% tax rates, they do not have in their country a lot of the things that the Democrats in America are proposing to put out there. They don't have the Green New Deal. They don't have, for example, universal daycare. They don't have universal basic income, which is something that has been touted by Democrats in America. In fact, Finland tried universal basic income, which is where the government just pays people basically a flat fee every single month. And they had to suspend that program because it's simply not sustainable. They don't have a guaranteed housing or guaranteed jobs program, which is stuff that AOC and the Democrats in America are proposing. They don't have any of these extra programs. And yet they still have a 50-something percent tax rate. So if we in America are looking at adding not just universal health care, but also all of these extra things, what is our tax rate? What is our actual tax rate going to have to be to pay for all of this stuff? And if we start to become a country where everyday citizens are paying, what, 60, 70, 80 percent in our taxes so that the government can give us all of our needs and wants, guess what? That's not democratic socialism. That's just socialism. That is full-scale socialism government control. I think another thing that we have to look at when we are looking at democratic policies and what's been really interesting to me is that over the last several months, I think we've really seen democratic policies playing out in our country. And it's kind of interesting. The cities that we have seen across the country that have experienced the greatest levels of violence have all been democratic run cities. You have cities like Seattle, cities like Portland, cities like Minneapolis, cities like Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles. These are all cities that are run by Democrats. Baltimore, Ferguson, Missouri, these are all cities that have been run by Democrats. And the riots and the violence that we have seen, and and don't get me wrong, those are things that can break out anywhere. But the difference is, is that in these Democratic-led cities, it has just been allowed to run rampant. Portland is now in like day 86 or something of violence and protests and riots. And where are the officials? Where are the city leaders to close that down? We looked at, I I talked about it a little bit on my last episode about the California Bill AB5, which forces employers to turn contract workers and gig workers into full-time employees and give them benefits. And the result of this bill has been job loss. The result of this bill has been people losing their jobs altogether because not every company can afford to hire every single employee as a full-time employee. And so we're actually seeing people losing their jobs because of this policy. Here in California, the last week or so, we have had a heat wave. And it has been over 100 degrees pretty much every day for the last six or seven days or so. And I mean, I've lived in California my entire life. People are talking about like this, like it's just this crazy thing. And it's August. August and September are our hottest months. We have 
over 100 degrees in August, every August since I can remember, and I'm 35 years old. So I, I really don't understand the discussion that like this is some new phenomenon. It's not. It's August and it's hot. But what we have seen here in California is this threat. And in some cases, it's happened where they have instituted rolling blackouts because everybody's home, okay, because the state is still shut down from coronavirus, okay, so a lot of people are still working from home or unemployed forcibly. Every student is doing school from home right now, which means that not only are they home, but they are also on their electronic devices doing virtual learning. And everybody's running their air conditioning because it's 106 degrees outside. And California is like, wow, we don't have the power for this. Well, come to find out that one of the reasons why we are having to do rolling blackouts is because of California's push towards renewable energy. Our push to have much of this state reliant on renewable energy, which includes windmills, which don't do anything if there's no wind, and solar power, which guess what? When the sun goes down, those things shut off. That is what is causing these rolling blackouts. Democrats are pushing for this state to be 100% run on renewable energy by something like 2045 or something like that, the year 2045. And this is the policy that if Democrats are elected on a federal level is coming to a state near you. So if you're in one of these nice middle of the country states that don't have to worry about rolling blackouts, guess what? This is your future. If you want to see your future, if Democrats are elected, go ahead and look at what's happening in the state of California. And this is not just me saying this. There was an article today on ABC7, which is a very liberal-leaning news organization here in California, and they openly wrote about this because it's so obvious and it's so bad. Another thing about my lovely liberal blue state of California, that I, a fact that I saw just yesterday, is that even though we have only 12% of the nation's population, we have 49% of the homeless population in the United States of America. And I don't know how you look at all of these things and walk away without saying these are democratic-led places and look at what is happening in these places. And it's not just a coincidence. It's not just, well, California is a hot state and therefore we have, you know, in the summer we have electrical shortages. This electrical shortage is directly linked to democratic policies, which are to forcibly move our state towards renewable energy. Now, what's interesting about this is that one of the ideas that was proposed is that we have to create this backup battery charging system where it gets charged during the day when we have sunlight by the solar panels. And then at night, we still have the energy because of this backup. And the reason that we haven't done this yet is because it is too expensive and the technology is not quite there yet. This is my thing. I am not opposed to renewable energy. In fact, I think it's great to use solar power. I think renewable energy is great. But we have to be realistic about what the technology is and where we are with it and what the cost of it is. And right now, we are not there. We are not there. And so what's happening is, is that people are now suffering. Citizens are now suffering in our quality of life because of democratic policies. Now, Again, maybe you look at this and you just are so afraid of climate change that you say, I don't care. I don't care if people are going to be without air conditioning in 106 degrees and you're going to have maybe some people die of heat exhaustion because of the situation. I don't care because climate change is such an important issue. You can believe that, but we need to be honest. We need to be fully honest in this conversation about what the consequences are of these 
policies. The last one that I want to say really quick is about the Democratic Party platform when in regards to abortion is that it is without restriction, that it is taxpayer funded, and that it includes funding abortions around the world in developing countries. And I just want to point out that according to the most recent Gallup poll taken on this issue, which was from May of 2020, that shows that only 29% of Americans believe this. 72% of Americans believe in either are completely pro-life and don't believe in abortion at all, or believe that even if abortion is, is legal, there should be reasonable restrictions on it. Okay. You should not be able to walk into an abortion clinic at 39 and a half weeks and say, I changed my mind and I don't want to have this baby. So this is an interesting thing to me because I think it shows that this is a policy that is not popular among the American people. And yet it is the platform of the Democratic Party. All of this does not make it surprising whatsoever that policy was not heavy on the menu at the convention. It is, again, politically, it makes perfect sense that the Democratic pitch is that Trump will destroy America, and even though the Democratic policies are not all that great, the alternative is a very mean man who is going to completely destroy the country. The line that we heard nonstop from so many speakers from the convention was, vote like your lives depend on it because they do. That line was so shocking to me because it's like what they're actually trying to tell America is that you could die if Trump is elected president. You could die if Trump continues to be president. And I really don't see the evidence for that. They point to coronavirus over that, that we've had you know, significant coronavirus deaths in America over that. We are not the only country in the world who has suffered and been hit hard with coronavirus, not even close. In fact, there are at least seven countries in the world that have a higher death rate per capita than the United States of America. And so to say that tr Trump is directly responsible for every COVID death in the country, to imply that if a Democrat was in office, that if Obama or Biden were in office, that they would have saved those people's lives, that I just simply do not believe is accurate. And I also don't believe it's intellectually honest to make that claim. But regardless, that is the claim that we heard. And basically, the pitch for Joe Biden is that he's a nice guy. I mean, that's basically it. You know, they had his wife get up and talk about him and how he reacted when his after his son passed away. He got up and talked about, you know, how he's going to unite America and pull people together and pull the best out of us instead of the worst out of us. I mean, basically, the pitch is, is that Joe Biden is a nice guy and you should vote for him because the orange man in the White House is really, really mean. Maybe that's going to work. Um, I think that, you know, again, it's probably the best thing that they have as an argument right now because of the level of Trump hatred that is among certain members of our society. That is what they are going to appeal to. But I think that we as Americans really have to rise above this. And until we rise above this as citizens, our politicians are not going to rise above this. We need to look at the policies. We need to look at what direction they want to take our country in. And we need to stop allowing the media to manipulate us into thinking that the tweets are that important or that the jab political jabs and the insults that politicians throw at one another are that important. They aren't. Now, you might have listened to this entire episode and say, hey, I agree with all those policy positions. I agree with the direction of the Democratic Party. And that's fine. That's fine. You can agree on policies and you can say, hey, I that's the direction I want to take our 
our country in. But I think it's really interesting that these policies were not discussed. I really do believe that the main reason why these policies were not discussed in detail at this convention is because a lot of these policies and a lot of these directions are very unpopular among the American people. Most Americans do not want to see a defunding of police. Most Americans do not want to see less police on the streets. In fact, I saw a poll recently that said that something like 81% of black Americans don't want to see less cops on the streets. These are not popular ideas. These are radical ideas. These are fringe ideas. And so what they've done is they've pushed these ideas to the daytime hours when they weren't going to get a lot of coverage. And in the prime time, the big focus was Trump is a very mean, bad man. That's basically what they're running on. Uh, One last thing that I want to say about all of this is I really wish that all of these politicians would stop saying, I'm going to unite the country. No, you're not. The country is not going to be united. We are very divided. We are very divided in what our beliefs are, in what direction we want to see the country go in. Joe Biden's not going to unite America. Nobody's going to unite America. And I don't even think that they care that much about trying. They don't care about uniting the country. They just want to win. And so I just really wish that we would stop hearing this because it's just a ridiculous pitch. It's not going to happen. Tell us what you want to do for the country. Tell us what policies you are going to enact. Tell us what your positions are. Be honest about it. Be honest about what it's going to take to get our country to achieve the policy goals that you want so that we as Americans can make informed decisions about how we want to vote. And I know that that's asking way too much from politicians. So it seems, unfortunately, that we as Americans are just going to have to do the research and do the work ourselves. We need to look into these these politicians. We need to look into their platforms and educate ourselves as to what it is that they believe. That is what our vote should be based on. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJNAmerican. You can also message the show by sending an email to JJ at I'mJustAnAmerican.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at I'mJustAnAmerican. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about the policies of the Democratic Party. I'll be back next time for a deep dive into issues plaguing American life from the perspective of Just an American. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Michael Beatty. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Beatty 3.